You guys uh, take yeah. a selfie with his pixel? Damn. He, and welcome. He, he traded in. Another downer from the podcast. <laughs> you jerks. How's it going, guys? Hey, everyone. Dude, you guys are really excited. I love the energy that we're having here. Love the energy. And we are excited. We are pumped to talk about, to come back to you, give a full episode before all the holidays. going to be a lot of crazy movies, a lot of different things that's going to be coming out in the next few weeks with traveling and Star Wars and everything amazing. So we are excited. We are pumped to come here and give you this episode on Coco, one of the newest films by Pixar. I was super impressed and excited about it because I know I had heard some talks and some things about it a long time ago and so i was definitely super pumped just to watch it uh, animated being like one of my favorite films and sort of like genres of it so pretty excited about that but before we get into all that i'm going to toss it over to the man who needs no sort of introduction but looks gorgeous today mocha mike how's it going mocha hey buddies how's it going good Very uh, happy to you... be here back in the saddle so to speak yeah there you go Oh, all right, back in the saddle. I, I, I can dig that. Uh, what are you? Uh, what are you sipping on? And uh, what are you watching? Well, uh, as for what I'm sipping on, I decided to keep the ethnic theme going for the night. So I'm sipping on a Spanish wine. It's a uh, garnacha by this uh, vineyard called Capa. It's pretty tasty. Pretty dark, but some fruity notes. Not unlike myself. Um, and good overall. <laughs> as for what I've been watching lately. I recently, so my roommate I, it has been going through The Wire, and I had originally watched the first four seasons of The Wire and never finished it, so I've been rewatching all The Wire with him, and now we both just got to season five, so I'm excited to finally see how that, like, like 10-year-old HBO series ends. I mean, that, uh, uh, are you done? Or did you already finish, or, like, where are you at right now? I'm on, like, episode two of season five. Okay. I mean, I think I, re- I recently watched that because it all popped up on Amazon. I think I was like downloading on my iPad when I was traveling last year or something like that, and I was definitely late to the game. But when I actually this is like maybe three years ago now, but I think me and Molly talked about The Wire without it and how good it was. So Yo, the Wire. I, I think that, that that goes with one of my like favorite shows. I really love that show. I still haven't seen that. Well, it's on HBO and it's on um, Amazon, and I know at least Amazon lets you do like direct downloads, like devices if you're traveling and whatnot. So it's I, I would literally watch about like half of an episode for lunch breaks and just chew my way through it. So it was pretty cool. Hmm. Definitely worth watching. But yeah, yeah, that's what I've uh, been up to lately. Well, as always, it's great to see your face. Uh, thank you so much, and you look you look handsome today. 
Oh, thank you. I usually look terrible, so that's a big ego boost. It's a, it's a big thing. It's a big change. Yeah, yeah. I've also been working out. You can't tell because you can only see me from the chest down, but my legs are popping right now. <laughs> I have not been skipping leg day. <laughs> if you can't skip leg day, my friend. You can't skip leg day. You look silly. You may look somebody like, Mike Blood, how's it going? Thanks for Whoa! The- <laughs> hey, how's it uh, going, guys? The Shredder Mike yep. in the building. What you sipping on? What you been drinking? So, uh, I just ran out of the room uh, to go grab... Some Espelon. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So we're going to take a sip of that and see you in five minutes when I stop gagging. Fun fact. Um, my roommates and I usually have at least two bottles of Espelon on hand at any given time. Espelon? That's not that bad. That's a good, that's a good tequila. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, so this tequila I found in a cabinet that I haven't gone in in like a year and a half. <laughs> I think it was just chilling there for a while. Yeah, it was like, you know, you ever seen like a pirate movie where they find a sunken treasure? And it's like, this room has not been open for a millennium. That's that tequila. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Shout out to all the pirates who know what the word millennium means. <laughs> they weren't educated peoples. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what I've been watching, so I finally finished my season one of Lady Dynamite, which is uh, Mitch Hurwitz's show. I have not done season two that just came out. Uh, expect a review in about 17 weeks when I'm finally getting around to seeing it. Um, but what I did see and I would, what I'd like to talk about is uh, I saw my first burlesque show the other night. Ooh. I never, never seen one before and it was wild. It was a telling of the Nutcracker called The Slutcracker. Yeah, it was. Nice. And it was interesting. It was... It was interesting. That's it? I I mean, th- there was a lot of me- near male nudity, uh, which I thought I could have pulled off. Uh, you know, just speaking for myself. Uh, as long as there was, like, a hoodie involved. Just get a little hoodie... No bottoms. Only no, bottoms. no bottoms. My, actually, my favorite, th- my favorite thing about it, though, um, and uh, you know, maybe all the the younger viewers might want to, uh, you know, close their ears for this one. Uh, the men wore pasties, which I thought was what? the funniest thing in the I've never seen in my entire life. It was like nice. complete gender equality, just like no, no nipples at all. <laughs> also, also, some of the men were a little bit like, a little bit. On the fence, feminist, feminist, feminized. So it was definitely like interesting being like, all right, well, oh, that's a dude. But to to continue the pirate analogy, you are piloting this ship into uncharted territory. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is the down in front podcast uh, burlesque show review. Stranger Tides. Yeah, it (laughs) wasn't. No, it was it was very good. It was very very funny. Um, I was very well entertained. Uh, I'd recommend anyone who's over eighteen go check it out. It was a night that like freely explored people of all what did she say uh, races, colors, creeds, orientations, gender identities. Like it was all over the place and fantastic. Where'd you go see it? Uh, Somerville Theater in Davis Square. I think I was. Um talking to a couple of show people there because I went to the burn and I was like, oh, cool, you guys hit me. They had like a bunch of like slut cracker like material and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, that's pretty was cool. Was this on Saturday? No. Oh, I was there like last Friday. 
Friday. Oh, we went. Uh, I went on Saturday. That'd be mad funny if you were at the burn because afterwards we went for a drink at Joshua Tree. It would have been literally yeah, like like forty yards right, apart from each other. Nah, I was up there. It wasn't a good reason why I was there, but I was there. That's fair. Cool. Well, of course, thank you for uh, coming on. It's always great to see your face. Oh, you're uh, welcome. Uh, and I'm Warren, and I will be the host of your show for tonight. I'm excited because this is the first episode I've done since I've been back home, so that's good. Because <laughs> I've been all over the place, it feels like, and I will continue to be all over the place. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm a bit under the weather, so I uh, apologize if I sound a little weird. But sometimes my voice gets really nice and like like low. So uh, trying to go see if I can channel that. Uh, but as far as what I'm drinking, I'm actually sticking to a, a non-alcoholic beverage. I think this arguably may be my first or second time I'm not drinking on one of the podcasts. Uh, alcohol, so sorry about that. But I have uh, one of our sponsors to be a nice, healthy Arizona iced tea. Uh, I have these zero calories because you have to like watch your figure. Uh, and I have the half and half. So a little iced tea, a little lemonade, uh, work my vocal cords, make sure that I can kind of uh, be heard. So definitely kind of take a look for that. One day and we absolutely really... will get them as a sponsor. We will. No, we, no, they are a sponsor. Just an official sponsor. I mean, a sponsor doesn't pay us yet. Yeah, sure. We pay them, right? So one dollar, Arizona. <laughs> we only want one iced tea a day. That's all we want. Patreon.com. Oh, that slash down the front podcast. Just send us one dollar. That's all we need for the entire year. We should year. put that on the website. Like, yeah. have a donation box to get us Arizona iced teas. <laughs> Quite something the plant, people. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. So uh, the what? I, so I've been going into a lot of uh, Amazon stuff. I was super pumped to see that uh, Amazon app is finally on the Apple TV. It's not very good, but it is on the Apple TV. I think the fourth gen. I'm not sure if it's on the third gen or not. Uh, but anytime, uh, anything of like the fourth gen and after, um, it's on there. So I've been really delving into a lot of their work, um, and I finally got a chance to watch The Big Sick. Uh, and that show, in that movie, was very good. Uh, super bummed that I actually missed it. And I'm not going to give any sort of like spoilers away, but this movie, I really, really enjoyed it because it really gave us a, a bit of a slice of life of exactly what he was going through, of you know, being from India and like like living in. I think he was in Chicago at the time and being like a stand-up comedian and like driving for Uber and just all the things that kind of came with that. He was dating outside of his race. And just everything that was going to go through with that, it was going through with him, and now he's like kind of growing with him, and as he's kind of learning, and then a particular event sort of happens, and then you try to figure out, you know, what is he going to do? Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I definitely suggest if you have Amazon Prime, definitely give it a watch. It's about maybe a couple hours, maybe. Um, and that's uh, the big sick. Have you guys seen this movie yet? I have not. No. I have not had the chance to. I really want to, but I haven't had access to... Well, I mean, I have Amazon Prime, but I rarely watch it because like, it's a pain in the ass to get to on their website. Amazon, if you're watching this, which I'm sure somebody out there has to be for working for Amazon, fix your UI on your website. Like, and, and the application. like, j- Just fix your UI because on yeah. the mobile, on the Apple TV, and on their uh, webpage, it's, it's all clunky. It's tough to find. Uh, if, honestly... I didn't even know that it was there. Uh, I think I was kind of going through. I added a couple things to my wish list because I think Silence is on there by um, Martin Scorsese. And that just recently popped up, I think, like in the next or the last few days uh, and had no idea. And there's Pain's Labyrinth is on there that just recently popped up. Yeah, I know. 
And so it, uh, it's definitely awesome. Like, I, I really like the content they were going out. I like a lot of their original works. So I think we talked about, you know, Fleabag and The Tick and uh, Red Oaks. Like, a lot of the things that I really like about Amazon, I just really wish that they would maybe change their user interface. But, you know, yeah. who knows? So that's what I've been watching. But we're pumped. This movie, Coco, directed by Lee Ulrich uh, from uh, Pixar, and I, and I know this thing has a lot of buzz. Um, I definitely kind of heard or at least kind of uh, knew that the trailer kind of came out sometime last year and super big on kind of family. So um, I'm really pumped and kind of get into it. But before we get into like the non-spoiler section of it, guys, I just really need to ask your opinion on this because we all know I don't watch trailers. And going into this movie, I went with like my family so it was kind of tough for me to, like, as they were trying to talk to me, I just put my headphones in, put my head down, like, kind of took a nap. So after about 20, 25 minutes of me taking a nap, which was phenomenal, I'm getting really good at it, I wake up to see that there's a short, as it normally is, in front of this one. I'm like, oh, let me take a look. Oh, it's a Frozen short. That's actually pretty cool. What was your thoughts on the Frozen short? Did you see the Frozen short? Uh, wh- what do you have to say about that? So... I did see the Frozen short. I made it there in time to miss the trailers and catch the short. Um, for people at home who don't know, there's a lot of controversy around this short um, because it wasn't that short. It was 21 minutes long, um, which is totally cool. Apparently, this film or this this little short movie was actually supposed to be a a TV special that didn't work out, and so they just decided to tack it on at the beginning of this movie. Um, but a lot of people were upset with how long it was. Um, a lot of people like left the theater because they thought they were in the wrong showing, this and that. Personally, I wasn't expecting it, um, but I also really enjoyed it. Frozen was a movie that I saw only very recently um, during my last trip to see my niece. She made me watch it with her, and I'm happy she did. Uh, and this this short was good. It was cute. Had some good music in it. Um, I didn't mind it, and also like I didn't have any. I had time to kill because it, it was a more, it was like an early morning matinee, so it's not like I had somewhere to be immediately after. So I didn't mind the fact that it was really long, but I could see how somebody who wasn't expecting it could have been taken aback by it. So this was like my biggest criticism of this movie. Uh, I've never, yeah, seriously, d- launching straight into the criticism sections. Uh, you'll probably hear me just shut up for that part. Then um, I haven't seen Frozen. So Frozen 1.5 meant absolutely nothing. I don't know any of the characters. I like I know Let It Go because I've heard that a couple times, but like I don't know their names. I didn't know Olaf. I didn't know anything. And so to be dropped in the middle of this world and just like see this like child's holly like Christmas adventure just made no sense to me, and I hated it every single minute of it. And, like, the longer that it went, like, so there was a point, like, a couple minutes in, I was like, oh, this is kind of cute, and, like, let's just do something, and then, you know, get over with it. And then we met the two girls, and I was like, oh, this is this is a lot longer than I, like, and then we got through their song, and I was like, well, we haven't even established, like, a baseline plot of what this short is going to be about, and we're ten minutes in. Like, what is going on here? Uh, yeah, I hated every single second of it. Yeah, I'll say this. It was... So, there's two issues that I have with it. One, it's just strange from a like a corporate standpoint that Disney would put a, like a TV special short for one of its own products before a Pixar movie. I understand that Pixar is back under the Disney umbrella, 
but still, they're still two separate companies. So it was really weird that that they would shoehorn something of theirs before a Pixar movie. But also, like honestly, since Toy Story came out, one of the things that I'm most excited about with any Pixar movie is to see what like sort of like crazy emotional roller coaster I get taken on for the for like the five minute Pixar short that comes yes. before it. Mm, um, so it was disappointing for me to not be able to see something just done by Pixar. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the one of the like one of the best digital shorts experiences I had, and I literally was crying before the movie even started. It was so good. Um, I can remember it like it was at the back of my hand. I sat down and I was like super excited uh, to watch Inside Out, and I sat there, skipped the trailers as I normally do um, at the time. This is actually before I even started. I was like, I don't want to watch the trailers, and you know, this digital short comes up. And it's, uh, I think the name of it is called Lava. You guys seen this? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Inside Out yet. So all that it's about, and it's maybe eight, eight, nine minutes, but it's about lava. It's about a volcano, and he's just trying to find somebody to love. And, like, that's about it. Oh, yeah, it's the, uh, what's it called? They do, like, the, the ukulele guy from Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's like that so that actual digital short and I don't think that they don't normally do but that digital short was so beautiful and the song was the message the song everything that they had about that also tied in with the movie that was going to which was Inside Out that had to talk about like feelings and emotions a great mashup I was like super excited it was it was uh, it was uh, somewhere over the rainbow like Israel no no uh well, that's the guy who, like, sung the song, but... But it's about it, his it, life, too. It it's, a, it's, like, literally autobiographical uh, on his life. Like, oh, him with the girl the that... The volcano like, short? What? The volcano short? Yeah, it's about uh, Israel, Hawaiian last name. And um, and it's, like, the, it ends with his most famous song, I think, which I think is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, no. He didn't... They don't. They didn't. They don't present. They don't do over the rainbow um, in the actual short. They have like his own music, uh, and like the name of the song that they sing is "Lava." It was just like a word, a play on like "Love You" stuff like that. Huh. Oh, maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm thinking of a different thing then. But I thought I thought we were thinking the same thing. Oh, we can take a look. I mean, I'm definitely gonna see if I can like link it in the show notes because I, I I went back many times, found this on Spotify, and listened to this song. It's Absolutely gorgeous. But the one thing I liked about these shorts before the actual movie is because it prepped you. It's like a preparation, not like beating you up emotionally and like, okay, we're going to keep doing it in this big movie premiere. But at least kind of preps you and kind of gets you in the mindset of like, this is this is uh, important. We want to kind of talk about this particular kind of message kind of going through there. I also saw this. I like Frozen. I like I've watched Frozen multiple times. I like the music in it. I, I don't like part of the movie. I feel like a lot of movie could be like maybe chopped off, but whatever. Um, but I enjoy the actual movie of Frozen. I enjoy the songs. I sing it with my friend Shelby all the time. So I was like excited to see it, but now I'm looking at it as well. We've already had a, another Frozen short. This is not the first one. I think it's been two or three of them. And exact point that you had made blew it of. Man, this one was way too long, and I thought for sure that they would like cut it off and says part one and two, like maybe part two is after the movie, or maybe part two is in the beginning of another movie, or something like that. But this was just way too long, and 
the biggest issue that I had with it was not only the time, but it was 25 minutes of trailers on top of a 20 minute, I think 22 minute um, short. So we already are close to about 50 minutes on top of a movie that's an hour and 45 minutes. And now this is supposed to be a, this is a children's kind of family friendly movie that it's really tough because people will bring like their younger kids to the audience and stuff like that. To ask a child to sit through almost three hours worth of content that should have been an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes is, it, it's not, it's, it's crazy. And to the point where they even started pulling, uh, uh, they started not only did that but they also had the uh, on websites for these theaters they said come 40 minutes late to see like the movie the, they literally were just like yeah just you can you just skip it by a half hour and you'll be completely fine yeah it was a bizarre it was a bizarre choice um, on the part of whoever had the final say in that it's also kind of weird that a movie um, whose one of its main draws is the fact that it is a movie about Hispanics um, and Hispanic culture is preceded by a 21 minute short that only stars white characters, but like not just white, like Norwegian white, like <laughs> yeah. really white. The characters. whitest of the white, <laughs> like milkiest of white, like it's it, and a snowman it's, character. Even even, yeah, even like I'm just like damn, they're working. white. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of bummed, you know, but, uh, you know, I still enjoyed it. I, I, I like where they were going with it. I, I, the biggest thing was if you do make these um, shorts, they got to be under like 10, 12 minutes. And they got to be like very quick, like engage into it really, really quickly. Uh, because if you're starting to pick some stuff up, especially if somebody hasn't seen Frozen, they're going to be like, what, what the heck? Why am I here? I'm just going to leave. Um, so yeah, I just want to definitely kind of get your thoughts on that. I thought that was very funny. Um, I had a, I had a good time with it cause I was looking around as if we were in the wrong theater, but I know we definitely weren't. Uh, but then it came up and we kind of watched Coke go. So we're excited. We're going to do our brief sort of uh, intermission for right well, now. Warren, we're going to come Warren. back, give you, uh, yes. Well, one thing before, so I, I'll say this before we start spoiling it, because I think it's more appropriate for this. I completely wanted to watch this movie based on the trailer. This is like, I know you okay. don't watch trailers but i saw this like special one that they did and it was coco sitting in his attic and he was playing along and like kind of playing the guitar and the animation they did and i'll talk about this in a little minute but like the animation they did was spot on to what he was playing and like i could have watched the trailer and played back based visually on it what he actually played and i was like that's really cool like without knowing anything about it, I was like, they're like they're making a Pixar movie with music being its central like point, and like doing it very very accurately. And so at that, I literally, I was very excited about. I think it came out in like July that trailer, and I was amped about it from then. Nice. Another um, interesting point, really quick before we move on about the um, the, the short before the film. Uh, Disney, as of this week, has asked all movie theaters to remove it from their showings by Friday, December 8th. Um, their PR spin is that it was always planned to be a limited release, but that's totally bullshit because we're still three weeks away from Christmas, and that is a Christmas short. But yeah, um, but yeah they, they heard that feedback, and as of the 8th, tomorrow, well, tomorrow for us recording the podcast, um, it's going to be out of theaters. I mean, I guess that's good also because they, they listen to the feedback when they it's probably a lot of negative, but at least they can go and say, hey, we're sorry, we, we messed up. Let's change it up. 
here. And I think that's it's, actually it's not cool. the most egregious thing. I, I always like it when companies respond to feedback about non like essential stuff. It's like, yeah. hey, the consumer base didn't like this, so we're gonna pull it. Not like BP spilled a couple million gallons of, and then wasabi, wasabi. <laughs> Last thing that we're before we get into the um, spoilers, because uh, uh, me and Jared talk about this a lot about how the fact that trailers spoil things, posters spoil things, and even a, a mention of what Mike just talked about when it feed off of that. I was really enjoyed and really engaged because the title of the movie had nothing to do with what was portrayed up until a point. Um, and I don't want to get into. We're, I, I'm going to expand on this a little bit yeah, later. Yeah, let's talk about that I'm, later. Uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, I really, really w- w- went into this movie. I'm like, what the heck is Coco? And that's, I guess, how you need to go into this movie, and then you figure out what's happening throughout the movie. And he says that is arguably, I think, one of the best titles um, I have seen in a, in a while. Uh, Inside Out, right? What the heck is that about? Oh, that I mean. These are some of the things I think Pixar tends to do well. Probably not good dinosaur, no. But, you know, at least they they do a really strong way of kind of giving these titles that they don't really give away what, what's happening. And I think we've talked about Harry Potter. We've talked about Star Wars and a lot of those titles. Arguably give a lot of stuff away of what's going to happen in the movie. So I think it's pretty cool that they've done a spin on it and they continue to make these works that really don't give away for the person who doesn't like watching trailers i can at least see a, a title and i'm like oh okay i mean i even seen the poster and i'm like i don't know what's happening in this movie still even by looking at this poster and i think that's really really like strong marketing um that they actually kind of use it off of so i applaud them for that Word. so you guys ready yep yes we're going to give you a quick intermission uh, we'll be right back uh, for our entire spoiler review of Coco, directed by Lee Ulrich. See you soon. Bye-bye. Remember me. Remember. Podcast, the official podcast of downerfrontpodcast.com. Uh, we just gave you a brief intermission. We are coming back hot and telling you of the whole review of Coco, direct, uh, directed by Lee Ungrick. Uh, I am not going to be able to pronounce his last name. My bad, bro. But I would say this. Uh, I think it's very funny uh, talking to uh, Mike Blewett here. Uh, there is, he actually did make a digital short called Dante's Lunch. Mm. That would have been appropriate to put in the beginning of the movie instead of uh, what we got. <laughs> Wait, so, you mean I'm there's gonna... more Dante content out there? There is. I want a whole movie based around Dante, yeah. just his antics, nothing else. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll just scroll. I was like, oh, no way. And then also to your point, uh, Mocha, uh, he's known for Toy Story 3 and uh, 2. Ah. So he co-directed Toy Story 2 2 and 3 I don't think he directed Toy Story 1 but he's supposed to be doing the story for 
or Toy Story 4. Um, so he's super, super famous with all that jazz. See, I did a little Chicago reference there. So let's get into the wins. Let's get into some things that we liked, we dug about this movie. I'm going to toss it over to Mocha and say, Mocha, what's some things that you actually loved about Coco? All right, so let me get this first thing out of the way. And I'm sure if you've paid any attention to the media buzz around this movie, you'll have already heard this. But um, it's a really, it was really cool to see a movie that had such a, a meaningful and intentional approach to showing some of the richness um, of, Sp- of Spanish culture. Uh, it's not something that you get to see very often in TV and film, at least in a way, not in a way where it's the entire focus and it's done with a lot of like heart and a lot of care. Um, and honestly, I hadn't really thought about the fact that it wasn't something that you don't see very often until I saw this movie, which, you know, really goes to show just how much like representation means when it comes to like, like in, in Hollywood, um, it meant something to see, you know, these people, um, celebrating this holiday that I, I didn't holiday, uh, celebrate when I was a kid. I'm not, I'm not Mexican. I'm Puerto Rican. So I didn't celebrate, uh, La Dia de los Muertos, Muertos, but I'm still familiar with it, and there's still a lot that I can resonate with from seeing these sort of family connections. Um, I really, really connected with the characters, especially Mama Coco, the uh, the you know the the old eldest member of the family. Like that entire opening montage where it's uh, the little kid in his like sleeveless white undershirt, um, just in front of his like old ass great grandma, telling her about nonsense kid stuff and just hanging out around her. Like, that was me when I was a kid. My great-grandmother lived with us when I was little, um, and I would always spend my time around here talking to her. She didn't speak English, but I would just talk to her anyway. And so there was just something really authentic and really, really meaningful about that uh, for me watching it. Um, Not only was it cool seeing the representation of Spanish culture, but it was also really cool to see them depict what strong matriarchal figures look like in Spanish families. Everything about this movie was spot on, especially... The moment where the grandma, not the great grandma, but the grandma finds the kid in La Plaza and like threatens the mariachi with her uh, with her slipper, La Chancla, that is some real stuff. For anyone listening out there who isn't Hispanic or hasn't been beaten by uh, by a woman in your family with a slipper, that shit is real, and they can do damage with those things. Um, and it was just really cool, especially the part where like she throws the the slipper at the dog down the alley and then walks off with one foot barefoot and then tells him, now go get my slipper. Like, that was just some real stuff. <laughs> I don't know. It connected to me in a really big way. Um, aside from that, though, this movie was just... Oh, I was going to say one thing on that one. Like, uh, so I didn't know this was Mexican-based. I was talking about I only Like, I saw the trailer and got excited for it. Uh, one of my favorite styles of, uh, like, music and art is uh, flamenco. Um, which speaking of Spanish, Spanish, you know, like that's like their thing that they do over there. And so it was really, really wonderful to see that sort of representation, you know, you get a million and one things that have like classical music, the traditional like Western orchestras playing the soundtrack, which there was a little bit in this movie, but to make it more like a nylon string guitar was awesome. And like literally one of the reasons that I picked up the nylon string guitar was to try and emulate my favorite uh, favorite Flamencan players, and so it was really cool to kind of see them. Obviously, it, the movie turned out to be a mariachi based rather than Flamencan based, but that's the mindset that I went into it, and I was still definitely pleased with the direction that they took it. Definitely, I mean, even going so far as to do the uh, 
the opening Disney logo song with the mariachi <laughs> with the yeah. mariachi guitar was just great. They really yeah. infused like the culture and the instruments throughout yeah. every part of the film. But it was also cool too seeing how in this film they didn't. Let's see how can I word this. A lot of times you'll see uh, people go out of their way to include certain type of ethnicities, um, and but they don't get. They'll make it. They make it a point to show that it's something other, and that's not necessarily intentional. But you know, like someone will start speaking Spanish, and you'll have uh, subtitles underneath because it's obviously important for the narration for a narrative to understand what's being said. But there were a lot of moments in this movie where they were mainly talking English, and then someone got excited and started speaking in Spanish. And they didn't give any subtitles. They just had the person speak Spanish. And that's so real, like, in terms of, like, at least for me growing up, I, everyone in my family spoke Spanish. But the second someone got a little too emotionally intense, like, Spanish came out. And you can usually tell by context what's going on or what's being talked about. Um, and it just felt really authentic that they didn't go out of their way to give subtitles when there was Spanish being spoken. I really enjoyed I really, really liked those. Like, they had so many moments and they had a lot of different kind of beats about it. And it was... Somebody. It was so well done. It was so perfectly done in that time. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. And I'm, I was more thankful to the fact that they didn't provide subtitles because we didn't need them. And I think there's a, a huge thing to, to know and just seeing this movie up. We don't need subtitles for everything, you know, and we don't. We, we can still understand completely, or at least I could, right? I think they make it very easy to understand exactly what's happening what's going on in the actual scene itself without us knowing exactly what they're saying. Because realistically, in this day and age, you're not going to be able to speak every language in the world, right? And so, But at the same time, like there's sign language, there's non-communicative uh, um, non, uh, gestures to use, like non-verbals, you know? And you can still get a point across. And I think it was a very, very smart and a very, very, very well-timed and... Um, uh, just a great thing that they actually used in this film so that we can actually understand what's what's happening in those heated moments and I, I, I really enjoyed it like that's a great call out I really enjoyed it. that was a big one of my wins here yeah it was a really subtle move but it, it meant a lot and just completely changed the tone of the film for me in terms of how I went about it and also like that's what you get when you start putting people uh, whether it's um, people of different ethnicities or people dif- or women in like lead creative roles for projects like this, you get really authentic representations of what it's like to experience that thing in that person's culture, in that person's mindset. Um, so I think like that alone is just a huge, like, like a huge example of how of what of why representation matters and why it actually makes a difference when you have people um, that aren't just you know like old white guys in creative positions. Um, aside from the you know the positive ethnic aspects of it. Um, I think that this was honestly the most visually stunning and beautiful movie Pixar has ever put out. Um, I don't think there's even a close second at this at this point. It was the colors, the vibrancy, the makeup of the world in the land of the dead was just like jaw dropping throughout. And the graphics itself, like no, like from start to finish, were really really good. Um, I'm sure Michael will talk about this later, but the fact that all the human movements, whether they were playing guitar or doing anything, were just really, like, really actually matched what they were doing. They were authentic. Um, was, a level of, was a level of detail that you would expect from Pixar, and that only Pixar, I think, could really deliver today. Yeah, yeah um, I was going to say, uh, I mean, I love the uh, I love the mapping with the guitar playing. That's literally the reason I wanted to see this movie, is because they could authentically do it. Um, really, that time of, like, the only other thing that I've ever seen do it was uh, Death Clock, 
in uh, Metalocalypse, where like literally you could watch the two guitar players play the like the solos and learn them from that, and that takes so much time to do. And as a musician, speaking of representation, um, usually when people, characters in these movies play their instruments, they just kind of like flat finger and just like this. And you can't see it, but it's just like really just think of your average like Dawson's Creek bro just strumming along in an acoustic guitar. It's just like you're not actually doing anything like anyone who's played four minutes of guitar knows that Uh, it was really cool to see someone actually interact with an instrument. And like I have to agree with you, the the color scheme, uh, especially on the animals, like the uh, the passenger or what do they call them? The spirit animals? The uh, was guidance guiders. I'll look it up. Yeah, whatever those are. Uh, th- the vibrancy on those colors was amazing. Like, when does neon green look so cool? Oh, so good, especially the dark. Col- Not since nineteen ninety nine's raves. That's that's the answer. Like, everything they had of the the world of the dead, like going off of it, it was the majority of the bottom, especially the the, the parts they had like water. <laughs> Uh, the way that they represented that, you know, that they had like shadows and things that were cast on top of water, and they had darks that was on the bottom, and it kind of lit lit up as you're going through. And the use of like lights and brights, and especially the uh, the leaves that they necessarily kind of use, really, really, really like um, just brought everything together. And it, absolutely, from Mocha, you were saying like it was an absolutely gorgeous like fi- like film, just. It just lo- I can easily watch like look back and watch at the moment, uh, and that's probably why probably a lot of people like like the trailer part because you get like a snippet of that and it looks gorgeous and that that pan sh- shot that you see the pirate and you see the bridge going over, mm-hmm. man, I, I really really enjoyed watching this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to add some clarification to what Blue was saying earlier, the word that they use for the spirit guides or the spirit an- animal guides is alibrija, I believe. Um, it just means spirit guide, uh, essentially. But uh, Ale there we go. Um, but yeah, it was it was just so stunning. And aside from that too, there was even though this is a movie that takes place almost entirely in the land of the dead and focuses on death. Death is the biggest theme uh, throughout this movie. It was surprisingly hopeful and uplifting about death. You know, you get to see that when people die. Um, in this film, they still go on, and there's another life that's vibrant and full of color and full of like everyday life for them on the other side that they get to experience and enjoy as long as their family still remembers them. And then beyond that, there's another death after that. There's, there's still that, that realism. They kept the, the movie grounded in that, hey, everything's not perfect. Even in the line of the dead, these people still die. Um, but the fact that there was the opportunity to kind of show that there was something more beyond that um, was just like a level of hopefulness that you know I would expect out of Pixar, and I'm you know I was it was happy to see. I really like the fact that I think they've been building on this approach a lot because I have to go back to Inside Out. That's arguably one of my favorite movies. But there's a point in that movie. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a point in the movie that they use um, a lot of techniques of like death and how the fact that it's like it's okay. Like that's something that. You, you can grow you'll become you'll become like accepted and that's something that's okay because it's a, a part of life you know and uh i think up to this point that they talked about like death is a part of life and but it may necessarily stop whereas this movie says well death is a part of life but just because that you, you just you don't die like you just don't end it there they talk about the entire journey of it and even 
even when the only way that you can quote unquote die right in this movie is if the people that loved in your family aren't remembering you and that was a huge point of it because even when like uh, hector's entire family uh excuse me not hector miguel's entire family like is dying that they're putting like their murals up and they're putting their photos up and everything that's still like remembering them so when we go and cross over to the land of the dead they're still living they're still vibrant they're still the same people you still have all those amazing and beautiful memories to live with and you carry that with you as if they never even died so even death is just another step it doesn't mean that it has to stop it just says that keeps going and that's what makes this particular movie so impactful especially talking and giving those lessons to like children and like young adults and just everybody of saying that just because somebody dies it doesn't mean it has to end there you have all this other stuff to remember them by there's a i think it was i was trying to look it up beforehand but there's this existential theory that there's two dates of death in every person's life that's ironic but um the first one oh yeah three yeah when you die when you bury them the one the two the big ones that i'm thinking of are when you pass away and then the last time that anyone utters your name and so it's it's interesting thinking about someone like uh hammurabi who is the first person to codify law in like ancient ancient mesopotamia that dude is like eight thousand years old if you go by that second date of like the last person to utter that person's name. Um, so I thought they really showed that, especially in the afterlife where you could pass into some unknown that it's not like you're gone. You're just kind of forgotten, which is equally as depressing. Yeah. Um, also, you know, the animation was fantastic. through went through, there are a lot of different points that you can call out about the animation. But one of the things that was most notable for me was the fact that despite, despite the notion that all the majority of the characters in this movie were skeletons, Pixar still did what it does, which is uh, managed to bring life and emotion to those characters. So you have these characters that are just bones and their faces are just skulls, and yet you can still see every moment that they're, every emotion that they're feeling. Um, you can connect with it. You, can, it. you believe that they're those people, that they exist in that form. Um, and that's, that's, that's tough to do with, with something like a skull because you're missing out on all the lovely pieces of the human body that have muscles attached to it that usually cause, you know, cause us to be able to identify as someone being sad or angry or happy. Um, so shout out to the animation team. Aside from just making, making it visually stunning, they also took a difficult subject, um, which was skeletal humans, and still made them lovable and adorable and believable. Absolutely loved it. Uh, Blew it. Some some wins, of, of things that you actually liked about the sexual movie. Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, I think we talked about uh, the, you know, I really love the, the two death dates uh, concept. Uh, you know, the tracking on dance movements, guitar playing, uh, as Mocha was saying, like expressions. Like, that was incredible. Um, let's see. Two big things for me. Uh, first, the plot was great. The twist, I really didn't see coming. And, um, I mean, besides the whole fact of, like, the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother really liking music, um, that was apparent. But the whole fact that what Miguel was searching for through the whole time was actually his father's killer was, like, was awesome. Like, I didn't see that coming at all, and I really didn't expect it from a Pixar movie to have, like, a genuinely great twist to it. Um, The other thing that... It was it was weird for me because or surprising for me because 
when Miguel first meets De La Cruz and he takes him out on that ledge and he's talking to him and says, uh, uh, De La Cruz says, or he asks him about his family and De La Cruz says, oh yeah, it hurt leaving, you know, leaving my family, but sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to live your dreams. And I watched it and I was like, that's a really weird moral for them to push on this film. I guess that, I guess I could feel it, but it that yeah. feels like uncomfortable. And then later on, it turns out that he's actually the villain. I was like, oh, you sons of bitches. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. There was that. And I think the big thing, the big win for me was that I think it really drove home the fact that family is there to try and make life better for you. Family's not always right about that, but they're always there to help you. And so I think that it really drove home the point that you know, that family's organization was that we're going to make shoes. We're going to make a lot of money doing shoes. We're going to be happy. We're going to be good family members to each other. But this is like our goal in life. And uh, Miguel really wanted to be a musician. And, you know, that he didn't really have the support by anyone else but his like pseudo dad's killer dad, you know, and, and some random mariachi hanging out in the streets. Um come to find out at the end he's really talented and then his like pseudo family from the land of the dead starts supporting him and that's really that turning point uh and that his family in, in real life starts to support him and I think this really like it really resonated with me as someone not necessarily going through this my, my family was always supportive of me you know going to college and studying music and like you know not quote-unquote earning a real degree um and so i was really lucky in that aspect but i certainly had yeah i know uh, i certainly had aspects uh or certainly had friends that like didn't get the support and you know and that didn't really were like kind of just doing it even though like their whole their folks didn't really want them to um and so talking with them it, it really drove the, the whole thing that like what you're passionate about is what you're passionate about. And if you have the means to explore further education in it, and if you have the means to uh, see that through, then then go for it. You know, like the, you, you can kind of make your own support system for it and get to a place where your what you thought was your support system will also appreciate you. I think this movie turns out a heck of a lot different if Coco sucked at singing and playing the guitar. If he was tone deaf and, like, couldn't move his fingers, his family would be like, back to the shoe shop, you know? But uh, I think the, the big thing is, like, practice, hone your craft, get better, and people will support you. You know, it, as however resistant they are at first, you just keep on, keep on, keep it on, as uh, the great philosopher Joe Dirt once said. <laughs> I, was about, I was about to call you out. I was like, wait a second. Nice. It's about time we got a Joe Dirt reference. Yeah, podcast. right? This isn't the down front podcast or anything. It's been over, uh, it's been absolutely over a year. Welcome to the Down and Dirt podcast. hey So, though, I really enjoyed this movie through and through. Um, I was going to this movie not expecting anything. I had no idea, as I normally do. I'm going blind, so... To the fact that the first thing that I realized is like, oh, this is a song. This is this, uh, a movie about like music and like tradition and a lot of different things. And this is kid named Miguel. So I was like, where does Coco come in? And he actually was like, oh, this is like my grandma. Uh, this is my great grandmother, Coco. Uh, so I was like, oh, so it's a movie about his grandmother. Wait, is it? Uh, so everything that I was like, no, I keep least going into this movie. I was super surprised. I was very pumped. I was really excited just because it was, it was all new to me and the family elements, the music elements. And I love the fact that there was always like this, um, 
battle between an open in another movie that has to do with like tradition, family, music was Fiddler on the Roof. And I think it was really hilarious that a lot of these things about like the the, the battle between tradition and not, you know, like not necessarily kind of following that. Uh, to the fact that every like everybody in this movie looked at you know music as being like the stigma you just can't do it. There's nothing you can actually do about it. like start even if you like to do it, you're supposed to go and do the family business, which is making shoes and making different kind of shoes, and like that's what you're doing, being in the working place, and that's that's it. Uh, there's no sort of creative outlets, so I, I like that element of it a lot. Like back and forth between like this is what you're supposed to be doing but this is what you're born to do and i think we've seen that a lot uh and just like any any other movie i just like how it was kind of portrayed here because there was a there was a legit reason why like this man randomly just left you know like the the husband of this guy who started playing music just left and like left this this mother with her daughter by herself and this mother had to pick herself up and says you know what like I'm going to have to do this on my own. I'm start making shoes on my own. I'm going to like raise my daughter on my own. Like we're not doing anything to do with like music at all. We're just going to keep doing what we need to do. I think that's another excellent and kind of strong point. Sad that it actually come from like a, a man doing something negative, but at least that woman, right. Didn't have to like, it didn't, there was nothing about her like re, remarrying. Right. There was nothing about her like needing men in her life. I, I just really love that aspect. I love how that was actually being portrayed. Absolutely. And, you know, like that was something that struck me right from the get go, because they talk about the history of of um, Coco's mother right in the very beginning, in the opening in the opening intro. And mm-hmm. I, like, when I saw that, that's when I was like, all right, this is a movie that's taking itself seriously, because when the father leaves her along with her baby, she's like she, they say, like, she didn't weep. She didn't like mess around. She uh, she pulled herself up by her boots and she she got shit done. Take care yeah. of her family. And Love that is. Every single Hispanic woman, uh, older Hispanic woman that I've, that I've met in my life and my family, they are all super strong and they all get shit done when the going gets tough no matter what. Um, and like, and that just, that as soon as I saw that, I was like, all right, cool, I'm in. Let's see what's up. Because that's, that's some real shit right there. Yeah. I, I mean, and I love the fact that a lot of these messages, I want to get into a little bit later, but like, exactly what you said, like, that's a message that resonates and it, and it doesn't matter, like, your skin color, what language you speak, what you look like. None of that stuff matters when you have either, in this particular case, you have a mother figure, right? And I'm, I'm black and I was raised in a single, you know, uh, single mother sort of uh, home with five children. Uh, you have this figure that says, you know what? I have to stop and says what's more, what's most important right now and what's most important is me taking care of my children and then building on my family and what's happening after that, you know? Um, and so that's what I think that's something that was like a very strong element that they necessarily used. It's something that was very, very well done because it, yes, this is about like Mexican. This is about people like in this culture. It is. But a lot of these ideals and a lot of these sort of messages that they're sending you doesn't have to stop there. Right. It, it resonates a, a, a huge, just a huge like kind of global picture. And I, you know, I, I I watched this movie with my mother. I watched this movie with my father, and I, I, I that was the first like this is the first movie in arguably about over twenty years I've seen with them in the same space together. Um, 
and it's re- very important. Like I was really, really into. I was glad. I didn't even realize they wanted to go see this movie. I had no idea what it was about, and so I'm just getting this as I'm like looking at. You know, my mother and father are sitting in the same row with me with my nephew. I'm like, this is unheard of. So it really, really hit me in a spot that I'm like, I am like all. I'm, I'm all bought into this movie. Absolutely gorgeous. I think we talked about these colors. I don't want to tread too much on this, but I think there was even a scene that you know. They go into the graveyard, and you see there's a bunch of colors and things. They're kind of worn down, but it's still really colorful, and they're still decorating. And then you go into uh, the tomb that's in the middle, and it's super clean, and it's white. And you have, like, a white guitar, and you have, like, the petals that's actually going to be on the floor. And, like, the only color in that scene is all accented by things that's on the guitar and the actual um, leaves that's on the ground. And I think that they did a, a... I really hope they did a lot of research, but it definitely seemed like they did a lot of research on like what colors and things that just simply worked. Um, and as a, and as a design element, I just really, really enjoyed that a lot. Um, you know, the, I, I don't know what this is called, but they did something different I actually hadn't seen before. And they, I mean, Pixar is because, you know, we meet Hector, who's just like jokingly, not many people like him. You know, a lot actually people, everybody just like laugh at him. He's trying to kind of uh, uh, dresses up. He's like Frida. Uh, is that Frida? Frida Kahlo, Frida, right? Frida Kahlo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I was like, oh, okay. Like that thing. That she was a pro- pretty prominent character in the movie. Yeah, so real I, quick. Kind of like this. Real yeah. quick, I gotta say, the one of the funniest things in the movie was when the first time they meet Frida Kahlo, and she's explaining to her um, her big set for the show, and she's like, we open with a papaya. And, and each seed of the papaya is me, and they start crawling out, and then she's like, and they climb the cactus, which is also me, and they drink the milk of the cactus, which is my tears. And it was just like, it killed me. It was so funny. I just love they were like, and then they're all on fire, and everyone's like, what? It's <laughs> like, no, no, no. well, maybe not. Um, but we see Hector, right? And he's clearly turned out to be like this dude who's made some bad decisions. Um, he's made some bad decisions. Clearly, he he's died on like some random thing and we don't know exactly what was half of his character but like a lot of people are laughing at him and um, I think it was like really really powerful when we got like the other musicians and this is something I, I overlooked of there was musicians who told us more of the story and so Carl, uh, Hector says uh, sorry Miguel says how did Hector die and Hector was like oh well you know they, they have a nickname they called me Chorizo uh, and people like, yeah, they called him chorizo because he choked on chorizo and died. He's like, well, I didn't choke. It was like food poisoning. And so I don't know what this term is, but it's like a very escalating um, approach to they give you a lower level. Of, this is funny. I can laugh at somebody's nickname being chorizo because they he choked on food and died. And that, that stinks. But at the same time, it's, it's like not the worst thing in the world to oh, he died from food poisoning, but did he really die? Did he really choke? And it's like, it's this funny kind of running joke on like how he died. I was like, that's, that sucks. That stinks. That's okay. To then we start figuring out and like, low, we, we get the big turn of, well, he actually didn't die. He actually didn't eat chorizo. He actually didn't choke on it. He, he didn't die from food poisoning, but his best friend actually kills him because he's trying to go back to his family. Mm-hmm. Anything to seize your moment. Oh my gosh! And we see like it was there. It's in the songs. It's like it was on the movie. We, we saw this actual. We saw it before. They kind of hinted at it. But it, once it hits you, you're like, "Wait, he kills him? 
that was something completely out of left field. I, didn't, I, I knew something. I knew Hector was important for some reason, right? He was musically inclined. Like, there's there's reasons why he's important. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. He's probably his real father. I think it's too uh, on the nose that Ernesto de la Cruz is going to be the father. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I can see why. And the head of the uh, the picture was also ripped off. So I'm like, okay, I kind of get that. Like, somehow, some way, it's going to come back together. But... You know, in the end, I'm like, oh, crap, I did not see that he was actually going to die because he killed them. That's that's a messed up thing. He was trying to go back to his family from uh, abandoning it and leaving them. And, he, and all of his songs that he got, uh, Ernesto got so famous for, he wrote all his songs for his daughter, Coco. And so I thought that was a very, very powerful moment from that. I just definitely didn't see that coming. They did a really good job with... Uh, kind of hiding that you know the movie as it progressed most movies most Pixar movies have some sort of like twist in them um, where you know a seemingly decent character winds up being bad or having like malevolent wishes but they did a really good job of hiding all of that and really just doing a lot of narrative sleight of hand to make you not think about the fact that Hector was a, a, a character like a significant character to make you not think that um, De La Cruz could possibly not actually be Miguel's father to make you not think that De La Cruz was uh, like a villain in any sort of way until that very moment. Um, and I was surprised. Usually I see those things coming a mile away and I really didn't in this movie. And I like you have to give props to Pixar for being able to like they're in the business of telling kids stories and you could easily fall into a formula with that. And I feel like they really stepped out of that with this one. And also they did in the way that's really dark. Pixar yeah. movies tend to have a lot of darkness in them if you really analyze what's going on. Yeah. But that's super dark. Like saying that your like your father tried to go home to his family who thought abandoned him and he was poisoned before he went so that someone else could prosper off of his his talent. And then that same father has been trapped in the land of the dead for eternity, like slowly dying because his family thinks that they abandoned them and so they're trying to forget him. Like that's yeah. really, really dark for a kid's movie. Um, so a like, huge shout out to Pixar for, for doing that. And in general, you know, they tend to respect the fact that children can process negative storytelling or negative aspects of storytelling. Um, and I think it's a good thing about Pixar because they don't, they, they respect the processing capabilities of the minds of the children that are going to see their films and they don't pander to them with just super saccharine stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, first of all, that's a great word. Uh, but, uh, it's, you know, I love that, and th- th- this actually kind of ties into like one of my last points of talking about like when this movie. I think one of the biggest things that they talk about is you know you can you can forgive like there's always this forgiveness component of it, but you never forget it, and that goes on a, a couple different ways. It's like forgetting the people that's in, like forgetting the land of the dead. You know, the how they kind of pass on to the other side because people don't remember them anymore. Like that's a hurtful thing. Like. Yeah, you can definitely, like, forgive what the people in, like, who are living, like, you can feel free to forgive them. Uh, We see that with Hector. Hector did leave his family. That's a choice that he made to leave his family to pursue music. He then chose to come back, but at the same time, that that, that time already had passed. But you can see that Hector and his wife, like, there was a point that she even said that, you know, like, I don't think I can ever forgive you. Uh, um, but I, I, I never will forget you, you know, of like what's happened and how you impacted like my actual life. So I think that's also like a great, a great sort of another lesson just to learn of 
you all, everything that's happening in your life you, you take that with you you keep it with you you kind of keep going to the next point the next point and the next point and that's all that's you know a, a bit of maturity but also a bit of just how you you should live with everything that actually is kind of happening with you like you, you keep that on you so i think that's actually pretty cool um and then one of the last things michael giancino uh, Mike G, he actually did the music for Inside Out. He did a couple um, musical scores, but the score in this movie is actually really, really pleasant. Um, very kind of soft tones, but is also like very uh, uh, authentic in certain circumstances, in certain cases too. Like, and it's very long. They actually split it up in two different sections. I think it's like fifty tracks or something. There's a lot of kind of shorter tracks also. Um, so I like the, that. I love, I love the score. I love the musical elements of this. One of my, I, I think I told this, I finally found the name of the character. One of the saddest parts by far, This, the name of the character is Chicaron. Uh, and, I, and if you remember this guy, so Miguel asked, he needs to have a, a guitar. He asked Hector, do you know where you can get a guitar from? He's like, well, I can try. I, I kind of know a guy. And so they go into his house and there's this old sort of like skeleton guy who's, practically can't move anymore he's already given you know hector a leg you say he gave him a knee he's given him so much stuff and we then find out of what happens when you're not remembered if you're already in the land of the dead and so we see that this chicaron character is literally just kind of like just dying and he's already dead but now he's actually dying so he, he that point is he's never going to be forgotten and i thought that was oh a very important scene because then we find out a this is these are the stakes of the movie b exactly what's like so hector has a little bit more skill what's happening here and c this is what needs to be done so we can actually kind of avoid this so the chicken character is one of my favorite one of my favorite sort of side characters in this movie so that was awesome mm-hmm. really sad. but yeah uh, those are our likes. Um, love the movie. There's obviously a bunch more stuff that I like to talk about, but there's some things that just didn't quite work. Blue it. What's some things that just didn't quite work for Coco? Fucking frozen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Realistically speaking, like there was a couple little tiny nitpicks of maybe some motivations and maybe some like weird character moments. It was. It was maybe not the greatest movie I've ever seen in my entire life, but it certainly didn't have any big plot point weaknesses. Um, the characters were real and vibrant, and I felt like I was like in the main character's shoes. Realistically, just please don't start me 40 minutes late into a movie. It was 11 o'clock when I went to see it, and I just... I, I know we beat it to death earlier, but getting out of a kid's movie at 1 in the morning was something I really didn't plan on doing. Um, just, just give me some freaking sweet mariachi music and some, what did they call it? Like sugar skulls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just give me that. Just that, that was great enough on its own. It's just don't water it down by like, cause be, I feel like the thing is, I, you know, in the newspaper, we've only heard reports on how frozen is like messing with the movie, but we haven't had, heard about how freaking great this movie is. Like, every single newspaper and online article is about how Frozen is in front of it. It's just, no, no. Coco is legitimately a great movie on its own. Yeah. I don't need to hear any negative press about Frozen to, like, get people to go see Coco, you know? Um, so, yeah, that was, that was my big thing. I really can't nitpick this. There's nitpicks, 
but I re- I'm not going to do it because there there was enough good there to overcome those. Mocha, what you got for me? Well, <clears throat> I can pleasantly say that the things that didn't work about this movie were few and far between. Overall, it was pretty. It was very good and pretty tight. I will say that for this film, it wrapped up the villain subplot a little too neatly for my taste. Um, I understand that it's a, that's a children's movie and that it needs to have a positive ending and the villain has to get his comeuppance. But the fact that um, Miguel was sent back to the land of the living um, and we skipped forward a year and you know the town that he was in and, and assumedly the people of the world now acknowledge De La Cruz as a monster, um, assuming that Miguel came and told the truth about his past. Um, it's just a little bit, a little bit too tidy. I can't imagine that some like little like twelve year old kid saying, "Hey, I went to the land of the dead and I found out that actually this guy De La Cruz murdered my dad and he, my dad wrote all the songs." Um, would just turn over the world and like in a, against this this musician over uh, in a year. Um, but again, I get it. It's a kids movie. It has to have a neat ending. But it was just done a little a little quick and a little like almost as if as an afterthought at the end, um, and that kind of bugged me a little bit. In addition, the way the villain was defeated was very trite. It was a really typical trope. You know, it's the old... It's like the oldest trick in the book. You get the villain to talk about his grand evil plan on camera, and you broadcast that live to people, and they get to see what who he really is, and then everyone turns against him. And for a movie that did so much that was new and refreshing, it was a little disappointing for the ending to just be so basic. Um, I absolutely agree. I I was really bummed by that, that entire section. Um, I was even trying to figure out, you know, how we can necessarily kind of go about and kind of doing it, of like trying to figure out like another way to kind of end it. And I completely understand that we have to figure out and get Hector back to his, you know, his approach. But I think they could have like spun it on top of his head of we don't. There's no need for De La Cruz, right, in this family. So in this family, the most important thing is, hey, you know, we need to keep our family together. And I think it could have been completely confined with, let's say, Hector. They they get all the information. They see all the information, so they get their family back together. But then De La Cruz is still off, and he's going to be famous for all the stuff he's famous for. There's no point in, like, bringing that down because it doesn't help them out anymore right like, like it turns their uh, estate to like something famous and people said to walk by and like all that stuff but realistically right and i was really hoping they'll go in this approach realistically we don't know half the people at all who wrote half these songs for all these famous artists that's arguably taking credit um for everything that actually happens so i was hoping they go more of a realistic approach of the family knows right the family knows what's happening and We'll play the music, and this is what's important to us because we don't care about the money. We don't care about the fame. We just really care about family. Uh, but the fact that they had to bring him down and bring us down and kind of switch it up, I, I do agree with that. Like, I think they could have avoided that. Uh, I think it would have made it more a more realistic movie in an animated movie just to say, you know, he's still going to be famous for everything he does. And that's, that's that. And that's fine. But then Miguel's going to make his own music, you know? And yeah. And like the family knows and the family's issues are with their curse are resolved because they have yes. the truth. Like even that yeah. alone is fine. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, my other and like my final main criticism for this movie was that there needs to be more Dante. Um, 
And let me get to make it clear. There was a good amount of Dante in this movie, but I want to watch an entire like two hour movie about that dopey little little piece of shit running around with his tongue flapping all over the place. He was the main reason why I wanted to see this movie in the first place. Like seeing him animated with that big lolling tongue and the wide eyes, I was like, this guy's gonna get up to some mischief. I want to see this movie. Um, and honestly, I could watch another one or two shorts just about Dante himself. Well, and I agree with you to a certain point. Uh, and I'll go into a couple of my things I didn't like about it is I think for sure there was actually a lot more of Dante and probably like other versions. They probably kind of cut down because they didn't want to take away from him. Um, but I also think that they need to explain this character a little bit more. Dante, like, why was he named Dante? Oh, oh, I, I know. I oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, so the reason why he's named Dante, and they they show this in a scene that takes like a fraction of a second. But when Miguel gets to De La Cruz's um, a party in the afterlife, there's a part where they keep flashing towards the different scenes from De La Cruz's movies. And there's one scene that's like half a second long where he's riding his horse, and he says like, "Go, Dante, go." And I was like, oh, perfect. This guy worships De La Cruz. Of course he would name his dog Dante because Dante was the name yeah. of his horse in a movie. Yeah. Um, it, it was very subtle and very quick. So if you blink, you'd miss it. But but yeah. But we don't get that until the end of the movie, right? And so it's like, we you need, this is now a prominent character. You need to establish this character way earlier on. We need a bit more because that also makes sense of Dante kind of follows him around and we've he's his only, like, let's say if this dog is his only person who likes listening to, the only being who likes listening to his music, who understands him when he's talking, he follows him everywhere, he helps him out, right? That makes more sense of, then, this is why Dante is able to cross over to the land of the dead. Because people are like, like oh, well, there's this random dog here. And then they just kind of brush it over. Now, these are all nitpicks. Like, literally all of my negatives, quote-unquote, I'm doing bunny ears here, are just about nitpicks, but I felt like they could have cleaned up a couple bits because there's dialogue that didn't quite work. Um, and this Dante character was in the movie way more than a lot of other talking characters. And I felt like they just kind of swept him under the rug uh, and was just kind of inserted it in just so that we can kind of progress the plot. And I was kind of bummed about that, but you know, not the first time. It's not, it's not terrible. Uh, but at least like I felt like you, they probably did, but they just kind of cut it out. Um, I, think, yeah. I think that the implication for the movie was that any animal can cross over to the land of the dead, um, but not every animal is a spirit guide. That being said, again, I think it was an implication, and, and, it, and I don't think, and I do think that they could have done more to explain, like what the mechanics around being a spirit guide were, what was, um, because yeah. it was strange that Dante just walked over the bridge with him and could see him while he was dead. Um, I think the implication there is just like animals have a different like view of the world and can see beyond that barrier. Um, yeah. But yeah, they could have definitely done a better job of clarifying that. And I guess we also need more animals because I think arguably we got like one dog, and then later on in the end we got um, one cat. But the cat ended up being his great uh, his grandmother's great great grandmother's great great grandmother's sorry, like spirit guy. Um, but I just think they needed like they needed to define that a little bit more. It felt like a bit murky. That was the one thing that was just it was a bit distracting because I'm like, why is this dog still here? saying he's a spirit guy yeah but like this you didn't earn that he just kind of was inserted there um i guess my, the, my, the other biggest thing i have is uh, pixar does this thing with you know this quote-unquote uh, goofy or dumb looking animal 
that I don't know why they keep doing. And uh, this is one of the second times that I've seen it of the character design of Dante. It's the same exact character design from Finding Dory of, like, the hero, like, the quote-unquote underscore hero of the story. Uh, in Finding Dory, there's these three uh, walruses, right? Or seals, seals. The three seals. The two that oh, can yeah. talk, other one that can't. But the one that can't talk is the he he's the reason he has the bucket he has all this stuff he's the reason why it excels them to, to go and find dory dante's the reason why they get saved i mean lots of things that like go into these actual characters but i'm like why are they designed so goofy looking i'll it's, tell you why it's really it's it's very easy to love a dumb a dumb animal um and when you when you're looking at these characters animated there's an immediate emotional connection of like, oh, because the animal's too dumb to do things for itself. And the case in point, I said it earlier, I decided I wanted to see this movie when I saw how dumb Dante looked. Like, that really did do it for me. I was like, oh, I want to see this movie. They've got at, least, at the very least, this little guy's got to get up to hijinks. I'm in. Yeah. And it got me. It did. Dante got me. And that's the thing. Like, it's easy to love dumb animals when it comes to characters in a movie. I, I was, wasn't buying it. The first time I saw Dante, I was like, you guys didn't have to do this. I think he could have been fine. Uh, give him something. Like, give him something that makes it different. But don't give him, like, the he's already, like, a, a trash dog. Like, they already kind of establish how they hate him. They, they, don't, they don't say anything about, him, like, the way he looks. I, I felt like they just, easy way out for them. They didn't need to do that. Uh, Did you say like, one thing? When the, uh, yeah. when the, uh, the guy... Uh, the high-ranking official at the Department of like Family uh, Connections or whatever sees Dante. He starts sneezing, and they're like, "Well, why are you sneezing? Dante doesn't have any hair." And he's like, "Well, I don't have a nose yet." Here we are. <laughs> so at least they acknowledge his appearance there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like that. That was that was pretty fun. A um, couple other nitpicks. Why was a uh, uh, question for you? Why was Hector limping when he was trying? Like Miguel was trying to mimic him walking and he had like this weird hitch in his step i don't know i i thought that was just a, just like playing into the fact that he was a skeleton i don't i don't know about that one to be honest nobody else i was thinking at that point that that point i was like oh wait was it actually really hector who got hit by the bell maybe and like messed up his leg and that's why he's limping with the leg i mean it makes sense there but does, that wasn't it does hector does hector limp during the flashback when they show him Walking away from De La Cruz? I don't remember. I, I, have, no, I have no idea. But like, well, he, up, like, yeah, we don't know, right? Like, that, oh that, wait, didn't you say? Didn't you just say earlier that the guy, uh, the guy who died in the hammock, gave him a leg and knee? Maybe he was limping because it wasn't the right size. Oh, that could be. <laughs> but then, where? Why did he lose a leg? Why did he lose a bone? Who knows? I, Shit's I, wild I, out there in the land of the dead. Alright, I, 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 I'll cross it off my list. I, I like it. It's just wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the other two points I have is, um, you know, I was I was really wishing that they would explain a little bit more of how he crossed over to the land of the dead. Uh, where's this magic? How'd he do it? If there's like a curse or some sort of thing that he needs to do um, with the, the guitar. Like, what was the symbolic, like, symbolism of the guitar? His guitar was his family's heirloom, yeah. Uh, but basically, Dela Cruz has been playing it for the longest time before, until he died, so there was nothing on it until somebody else in his family, like, did that. Like, there was this lore that wasn't quite explained how Miguel 
went over to the land of the dead. It just kind of happened. And I was like, well, then anybody could have done it. You know, I think that has like breaking down tradition, breaking down things, kind of following your dreams. Like there's a lot of stuff that could have been. I just needed them to show me or at least say, acknowledge something about this world. Because when we went over to Land of the Dead, it was like, is it, this is normal. Like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I can accept that. But then how did he get over here? And then they was really talk. They were, they was really, really specific of how to get back, but they didn't talk about how he got over there in the first place. So I thought that was kind of weird. But again, yeah. these are the things that I'm like, well, okay. And, you know, I'm able to kind of, uh, like, I'll suspend my disbelief for a moment, but have you only a book of life? Book of life? I have not. Okay. Though there so, was a lot of controversy regarding this film in the book of life. So I don't, I, I'm not going to consider this as being like a criticism or a negative at all. It's just a, a bit of an observation is a lot of this movie I saw, I'm like, this story is a lot of Book of Life. And that movie came out three years ago. Now that movie is a little bit different, you know, talks about these two, like, uh, these two friends, you know, that was kind of competing for like this girl's love and it's a little bit different, but and prominent, like, Dia de los Muertos and, you know, the Land of the Dead, they, they talk about these these concepts of crossing over back and forth and how this is, like, a thing that they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. Um, but, yeah, I it's it was a movie that I... It was tough for me to step out and, like, step completely into Coco without thinking, man, I've almost seen this movie before. They, they executed it vastly different. I like Coco way better than Book of Life, but... Both movies are great. Both movies are really well done. Channing Tatum's in the book of life. He does a voice in there. It's weird. I don't know why. Anyways, uh, but it was really tough for me to really kind of buy into everything was happening on Coco, knowing that there's already a movie that pretty prominently talks about, and you said we've been in Land of the Dead for a while, talks about, like, what, arguably 60, 70% of this movie. Um, so I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty interesting. And just as an observation of it, I don't know if it's negative, positive. I still need to go back and kind of look. I need to go rewatch um, Book of Life. I think I watched it a couple years ago, but I remember really, really liking that movie, and that movie looked gorgeous, also. Um, so I just thought it was interesting of of that one. So that's our wins. That's the criticisms. Conclusion. Last in thoughts. Welcome. Uh, yeah. So I think that overall. This was a great movie. Um, it's a great movie for families of any ethnicity. Um, doesn't matter if you're white, black, brown, yellow, red. Doesn't matter. Uh, the values that are held within the story are applicable for just humanity in general. And I think our, a lot of them are really important for people to hear, both kids and family, our parents too. Um, it's definitely a must-see movie for anyone, any Latin, Latinx or Hispanic family whatsoever. Um, it's a, if only to provide a big budget example of ethnic representation in mainstream Hollywood. Uh, there's something really special about that. And for our listeners at home, you may have seen article after article on the internet about how the represent- representation in this film is important. So maybe you're tired of he- hearing it, but it is important and it matters. And the fact that in these times where we have a whole bunch of political divisiveness, where people are just demonizing Hispanic people and Mexicans in general, um, it's really good to see a movie that embraces their culture and still shows how it relates 
to families of any ethnicity whatsoever. So absolutely take your kids to see this movie. Take yourself to see this movie. It was worth the while and worth the ticket. I, I mean, I agree literally everything you said there. I uh, love this film. Uh, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone. I don't think there's been animated film that we've discussed that I didn't say, I love this movie! Uh, like, animated is like my jam. Um, this movie really resonated. Like, we went, I went with my family, my brother, his uh, girlfriend, my god sister, my uh, father, my mother, my nephew. Like, we had different generations and we all left with different feelings and different emotions of this movie. So, there was a lot of stuff going on inside of me. Uh, it's a beautiful movie just to go by yourself, go with a bunch of people that you really care about, like have yourself a good cry for, like just really invest and just invest your time and emotions in it because you're going to get a lot back. And that's what I really enjoy with a lot of these Pixar movies that you get so much, you see all the stuff that they're trying to do. Um, I mean, I just loved it. I just loved it a lot. And I think the one of the overarching sort of things is, you know, forgiveness takes a lot of time. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of hard work, and it takes a lot of things that you know people sometimes just doesn't want to do. But never forget, you know, you you keep that with you, and that's something that you know me and my mom kind of talked about a lot. And my mom literally quoted a line from this movie when I was talking to her like three or four days later, and I was like, "You realize you just quoted Coco and what we were talking about?" And she was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like blown away. You know, that's how much this movie sort of resonated. So definitely love this movie. The only thing I would love to see, and I think we're probably going to get there sometime. I don't know when. Um, I would love to see this movie if it's all in Spanish. Um, mm. I think that would be awesome. So that exists. They I are. Guess. They so when this movie, this movie debuted in Mexico before it debuted in America, fully Spanish version. And there are some theaters in America where you can still see the Spanish version with English subtitles. And that's actually something I wanted to bring up because I. If I can find, like, New York City, one of the benefits of living in New York City is that you get access to a whole bunch of shit the rest of the country doesn't in general, um, but especially for film. And I'm going to try to find a theater that's showing this movie in Spanish, because I would totally watch this with subtitles. Um, yeah, it's a special movie. I don't, and disclaimer, I don't consider myself some sort of, like, epitome of manliness or, like, like rugged masculinity. But I don't cry during movies. It just doesn't happen. Um, I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of movies that got me a little worked up. Arrival, The Pursuit of Happiness. But I never actually cried. And I was sobbing at the end of this movie. Like, like, like ragged breaths, Kim Kardashian ugly crying. Like, <laughs> just really crying in this theater. Um, and I think, and it's, there's a special, there's, there's something special about this film that I think that is, it makes it worth seeing for anybody. Yeah, I mean, I cry a bunch of movies. Me and Megan Arnold go way back. And we, me, Megan Arnold, and Derek Sung, we talk, talk about the amount of movies we cry in now. I was like, what's the... I don't know. Thing. Uh, but I think one of the last two movies I had a good cry in, one was the Amy Winehouse documentary that absolutely destroyed me. I, I don't remember how, the, the part, the end of the movie because it just destroyed me at one point. And then the other one was Inside Out because there was a point in that movie, and once again, I'm not going to spoil it, but couldn't couldn't handle that movie at all. It's kind of killed me. I cry at home. I'm like, I already seen this movie. I cry when <laughs> freaking Snape dies. I'm like, I know he's gonna die. I do it anyway. Uh, but like, you know, this movie, like, it, it does that, and it's one of these things in which, like, you know, embrace it, accept it. That's something that that's who you are. Because something in this movie, if you're like 
like your uh, I think you were talking about like your friend or uh, Blewett's friend like oh I'm not sure why I'm crying there's a reason for that that something in this movie or something in this film or in life has resonated so well with you that it hits you that way so explore that just for a moment because that's like take a second that's that's magic and that's why I love Pixar hey Blewett what about you yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that maybe this movie wasn't like – it wasn't like a you should have seen it opening night. But like I would definitely pay full price for this movie. Um, music is such a universal thing regardless of what culture you're from. Um, and any movie that celebrates that is – you. it's definitely must-see viewing. And with that, we are the Down and Fun Podcast, the official – podcast at downinfrontpodcast.com uh i'm excited thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight in mocha where can we find more of your work absolutely well you can find me on twitter uh tweeting in 280 characters or less about the decline of the republic um at mocha mike li as the lord intended unfortunately you cannot find me at mocha mike because the person who owns the at mocha mike account has died and we'll never pass on in the other life because I will never forget the fact that he exists because he has my fucking name. Um, so until then, you can just find me at, at Mocha Mike Um Also, please follow me on Instagram at Mocha Mike. Uh, that's where I post a lot of my photography work. I'd love to, you know, get some feedback on that. So leave me a comment. Um, or you can see some of my long form reviews on the materials that we talk about here on the podcast on my Medium. That's Medium.com at Mocha Mike. Uh, Blue, where can you find more of your work on the interwebs? <laughs> yeah, so uh, you can find me at Mayanus Music and Mayanus Band, uh, depending on what social media you're going through. Um, if you Google us, like mad amounts of stuff will come up. Uh, we should have a new EP coming out at the end of this month, beginning of next month, depending on some stuff, probably beginning of next month because that's the next time we're playing. Um but, uh, yeah, if you want to hear some mediocre punk rock music uh, from not a very centralized location of punk music, uh, yeah, check us out, My News. Um, also, if you want to um, check me out, on, no, not really check me out, if you want to interact with me on a personal level, uh, you can email us at uh, jessieslipperspankings at gmail.com. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Caliente. <laughs> and we are the Down of Friend Podcast. We have a website that has our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Patreon, our Reddit, literally everything that we're doing thank you so much definitely go check it out down in let us know if you like it let us know if you hate it well we're still going to be pushing out more and more content just recently we we're talking about kind of instagram and down in front podcast on our instagram handle we're now be putting out our uh, live stories and we're putting the live reactions up on the website and we're going to be pushing that out for you and thank you mocha for doing those because those are absolutely amazing so stay tuned for that Stay tuned for all of our next work. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. We have kind of queued up. We have Punisher that's coming up. And, of course, we have Shape of Water that's coming up. We have potentially the disaster, the disaster artist that's coming up. Disaster artist, what? Uh, and then even Star Wars is coming up soon. Woo! 
lots of stuff, and these are all in the next week. Oh man, this is only the next seven days. Crap. December's wow. intense for Dan and Friends. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to be traveling, so I'm excited about that. So many exciting things. Thank you so so much for kind of hanging out with us again, and we will see you soon. Bye. Adios, bye con Dios. Bye,